I prayed about this message this week, as I always do, and just said, Father, where do you want to go with this? And he began to put something in my heart, a message that I'm calling a new beginning. New beginnings have a way of playing with the strings of our emotions. I'm talking about emotions that range everything from trepidation to exhilaration. And even as I look around this room this morning, uh, there's no doubt there are people that are very exhilarated. They're joyful. They're excited. At the same time, it's like starting anything new, a new job, uh, going to a new school, a new marriage, whatever it may be. There's a certain amount of anxiousness, I suppose. I can just tell you right now, you can just go ahead and rest because that is the message of Jesus. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In times of transformation, it's really important to remind ourselves that God specializes in new beginnings. In fact, God majors in new beginnings. He's really good at this, and He's been doing it for a long time. In fact, did you know the first four words of your Bible are in the beginning, God? See, I told you, He specializes in new beginnings. What I want you to see through the message today is this. Nothing can alter our relationship. Nothing can alter our new beginning in Christ. Nothing can change that. In fact, the Bible begs the question, what can separate us from the love of God? I'm telling you today, nothing can separate you from the love of God. I love that about Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 opens up with no condemnation and it closes with no separation. Well, if there's a chapter of the Bible, man, that you ought to wrap your heart around, it would be Romans chapter 8. In Christ, we live and move and have our being. If you spend any time with anyone, you live with them, you move with them, you just be with them, I'm telling you, you're going to go through transformative times. There's no question about it. Religion even tries to transform us. It attempts to transform the man from the outside in rather than the inside out. Now, Jesus had a problem with that 2,000 years ago, and Jesus still has a problem with that. As he stood in front of a group of religious leaders, men that were sincere, but they were under an old covenant mentality until Jesus had came along and showed them, listen, he's not just God, he's Father. See, I rarely just refer to him as God. I grew up in the South when I was a kid. I was in Virginia. I was running the mountains of Virginia and West Virginia and Tennessee. We called our mom, Mama, and we called our dad, Daddy. That's what we call them down South. Papa. And when the Bible says that we can call him Abba, Father, it is literally saying, you can call me Papa. It's a term of endearment. It's an expression as though you just climbed up on Daddy's lap. So when you hear me say, Daddy, friends, that's the way I get to talk to my father, and I'll tell you what, he loves it. You see, because Daddy brings him up close and personal, God keeps him at a distance. 
it's not that he isn't God, but I'm going to tell you something. When any of my kids call me daddy, they've got my attention. Occasionally, some of my kids will say, Father. But when they say daddy, I just really start looking for my checkbook. I want to start writing checks to these kids. I love being called daddy because it says to me, you trust me. You love me. You care about me. I'm up close. I'm personal to you. And that's the way our father wants to be. So I hope you don't get offended by me calling him daddy. He's my daddy. Listen, I ain't out to ruffle no feathers, but that's who he is. He is my daddy. So Jesus was standing in front of this religious group of men. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Now listen, if I would have been standing when Jesus, when he released those words, I'm sure I would have blushed. Did Jesus say it? Yes. Was it the right thing to say? Absolutely. How do you know that? Because he said, I never say anything or do anything that I don't hear my father say first. So daddy whispered these words into his heart first, and then Jesus just repeated them. He called them hypocrites. The definition for hypocrite is an actor. It literally in the Greek means one who wears a mask. You're like a Hollywood actor. You're not even who you're supposed to be. You're just playing a role. And that's exactly what they were doing. He said, you actors, you're wearing masks. And I came to remove your mask and remove this veil from you so that you can see the Father for who he is. So my question is, why would Jesus say something so pungent? It comes across as almost sharp, doesn't it? So why would Jesus say something so radical to these guys? Sometimes you have to say hard things. It's part of life. It reminds me when we were kids, there was castor oil. Anybody remember castor oil? We always used to say it goes down rough, but it does the body good. And sometimes we hear things that go down rough. But if it's the truth, truth has a way of liberating. Truth has a way of removing the lies because lies cannot stand in the presence of truth. So Jesus was speaking truth here. So why would Jesus say something so sharp? Well, I think the answer is found in the words Jesus used when he addressed them. Look how he addressed them right there. Teachers of the law. Now, he emphasized on that. He said, teachers of the law. You see, the Pharisees' approach was to transform man from the outside in. And how did they do that? They did that through the ministry of rules and laws, do's and don'ts, because that is all they ever knew under an old covenant. Rules, laws, do's, don'ts. And I'll tell you what, that'll wear you out. There's 613 Jewish laws. Try to keep them one time. I guarantee you'll have time for nothing else. You'll fail at it miserably. Now, I want you to contrast the ministry of grace. Grace transforms a man from the inside out. Not by ministering rules and laws, but by ministering relationship and love. I saw a Facebook posting this past week. It said, your time as a caterpillar has expired. Your wings are ready. I love it. See, sometimes we crawl around like a caterpillar, but it's not who they're destined to be. Your time as a caterpillar has expired. Your wings are ready. You know what? Let me tell you something. It may appear as though that 
butterfly transforms from the outside in. But I guarantee, I assure you, that butterfly transforms from the inside out because that's how God programmed him. That's how Daddy programmed that thing is to transform from the inside out. And our new beginning has its origin in Christ. And in him, we are transformed from the inside out. That's exactly why the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Where do you work it out from? You work it out from the spirit. You work it out from that part of you that doctors can't seem to locate. You work it out from the spirit man into your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. But so often when we quote that, we say, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But it literally says, work out your own. See, the Pharisees were trying to work out everybody else's. If they would have said, how about if I just work out my own salvation with fear and trembling? Because it's the Holy Spirit's function to work out salvation. And he works it out from the inside out. You see, in Christ, old things pass away. And in Christ, all things are become new. We are new creations in Christ, no doubt about it. The old covenant passed away when Jesus died. You see that truth in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13. But the old covenant passed away when Jesus died. And here's a profound truth. The old nature of man, our old nature, passed away when we died. And who did we die in? We died in Christ. So the old covenant passed away. The old nature passed away. We are new creatures in Christ. Living under the old covenant is a toxic concoction. It is a Molotov cocktail. It is a poor man's grenade. And it does damage to the body of Christ. When my wife Valerie was a little baby, her mother and father moved to a home. And that home had well water. And they wanted to do the right thing. They wanted to make sure there were no impurities in that well and get their little daughter sick. And so her mother would boil the well water. She would boil it as to purify it in a sense. And then she would make her formula from that boiled water. In spite of what her mother was doing, her little daughter grew sicker and sicker and sicker, and her little daughter was turning blue. And they realized, oh, we got a problem here. What is the problem here? They took her to the doctor. You know what they found out? She's not oxygenating well. You see, that well had nitrates in it. And here's the thing about nitrates. When you boil nitrates, they don't die. They multiply. They increase. So the very thing that her parents thought they were doing that would help their little girl was actually harming their little girl. And she almost died just simply because they thought they were doing the right thing. Today, many ministers will stand in the pulpit and they'll minister a message that puts people under condemnation, puts people under fear, puts people under the old covenant, the laws, the do's and the don'ts. And you know what it does? It's tearing them up from the outside in. Much of the body of Christ is emotionally sick because they won't let go of their sippy cup that contains water from a contaminated well. A contaminated well is a gospel that attempts to add anything to Jesus' finished work or subtract anything from his finished work. That is a contaminated gospel. And I'm telling you, the man who wrote most of the New Testament was the Apostle Paul. And he would get in your face and he would get in your space and he would let you know you're giving them a contaminated gospel. You're telling them they've got to be circumcised. You're telling them that they've got to obey the Ten Commandments. And Paul said, listen, let's bring this to a halt here. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. 
You can't add anything to his finished work. And it's that finished work that's working on the inside of us, that love of God that's working on the inside of us that compels us. The Bible says that it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to worldly lusts and ungodly passions. It's not the law of God, it's the grace of God that helps us. It's not there to point a finger. The grace of God helps us to say no because we see the love of God at work. Many believers are feeding themselves with a performance-centered cocktail and then wondering why fear and guilt and shame and condemnation are robbing them of their oxygen. Friends, it's as simple as changing your drink. And that was the message that Jesus dropped into the Samaritan woman's heart when he visited her that day at the well. He knew she was coming. We see this truth in John chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. It says this, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked me, and he would have given you, I love this, living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. I'm telling you, Daddy specializes in deep wells. I don't care how far of a well you've fallen into, Daddy's arm is long enough. The Bible says the arm of the Lord is not short. It's long. It can reach down in the bottom of any well. She said, the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. Let that ring in your heart for a moment this morning. The water that I will give him will become in him. See, when we drink of the Lord, when we drink of his grace, we become the well. That's why when the woman left, it was a type and shadow for us to see. We don't need man-made wells. The well lives on the inside of us. It's a wellspring of life. And he says to her, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water. What is he saying? He is saying to her, he's communicating to her, it's a water without the nitrates of the old covenant. He's pointing this woman to covenant. Because under the old covenant, it's the religious duty. We always come here. We always do it this way. We always come here. We always come here at a certain time. And he said, listen, I want to teach you something radically brand new here for you. When you drink of this well, this well is going to come and live on the inside of you. And it's going to remain on the inside of you. I love it. And he says, it's a spring of water welling up to, what kind of life does he say? He says, it is eternal life. Not temporary, not conditional life. He said, this life is an eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Do you see that? She, she's getting this revelation. And of course, as the story develops, you see her run off into the town. She becomes one of the greatest evangelists because Jesus, the wellspring of life himself, came and lived on the inside of that woman that day. 
When Jesus offered the Samaritan woman a drink of living water, he was referring to the new covenant. A covenant that is not conditional, a covenant that is not contaminated, and it's a covenant that is not concocted by man's own hands. It's a covenant that doesn't come from the outside in, it comes from the inside out. It doesn't matter how deep a well you've fallen into, he can reach down to that well. Can you guess what the Samaritan woman received that day? I'll tell you what, she received it was something bigger than water. It was a new beginning. This woman got a radical new beginning in her life. So let me ask you this question. How do believers discard the ladle and the bucket of this toxic concoction called the Old Covenant? I'm going to tell you how that happens. It happens by us getting the revelation that death precedes life. See, we always think it's death follows life, but no, death precedes life in God's kingdom. It comes before life. And we see that truth in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I love what the Apostle Paul said. This is one of my favorite scriptures. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to draw your eyes to those words right there. Christ liveth in me. He's not far off. He lives in me. How did he come to live in me? I am crucified. I died in Christ. If he lives in me, that means the toxic called sin has been removed. Our wings are ready. Transformation begins on the inside and it works its way out into a new beginning. And then he says, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I don't live by my faith. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't leave the house in the morning if I was living by my faith. This ministry is not about living by Mark and Valerie's faith or Bob and Treva's faith or anybody else's faith. This ministry is we live by the faith of the Son of God. And why do we live by the faith of the Son of God? Because he loved us. And the Bible says he gave himself for us. I live by the faith of the Son of God. His faith always works. His faith never fails. Don't you love that? I love that. So I'm crucified with Christ. Once I really believe that, it doesn't take a giant leap for me to understand that I'm a new creature. We see that truth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, there's those words again, in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or another way to say it, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We have a new beginning in Christ. Now, what are the old things that passed away? The old covenant passed away. We see that truth in Hebrews 8, 13. And the old nature or the old heart passed away. We don't have an old wicked heart. God said, I'm going to give you a new heart. You're not going to have a heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I don't ever go around saying I'm a sinner saved by grace because that is not who I am. Do I occasionally sin? Come on, let's just be real, okay? If I do sin, it doesn't make me a sinner any more than if you put a dog collar around my neck would make me a dog. I'm not a sinner. I'm a son. I'm a saint. I'm a son of God. So the old covenant passed away and the old nature passed away. 
there's expressions of newness all around us. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19, the prophet said these words. He said, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, just like the well that the woman was at. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I got to ask you the question, how good is our God? How exhilarating is our God? He provided a way out of the wilderness. It's a desert called sin. Isaiah in that scripture speaks of this impartation of life. He speaks of this impartation of living waters. Even, I love this, in the most barren places, places that you wouldn't think you'd ever see a river of water in the desert. Really? That's our God. He's full of new beginnings. That's what he says. When I see truths like this in the Bible, it takes this area in me that stores hope and I feel it enlarging. See, hope is a confident expectation of good. See, that's biblical hope for you. A confident expectation that God's going to do something good. I'm not just hoping and wishing. I have a confident expectation that my daddy, my papa, is going to do something really, really good. And we see this hope in Romans chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. It says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's the river in the desert. You see, you had a heart that was barren at one time. And daddy said, I'm going to pour out my love into your heart. <laughs> I'm going to pour it out into your heart and it's going to bring such hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. What a scripture. Who did Jesus die for? He didn't die for people who thought they could do it by themselves. That'd be foolish. He died for the ungodly. Everybody on the earth was ungodly at the time. He died for the ungodly. He died while we were in a state of a wilderness, the Bible says. I want you to know, the first four letters of the word wilderness is wild. You were a wild child at one time, and so was I. And it, God says, it was in that state, it was in that state of being that my son hung on an old rugged cross so that he could take away your sin, so that he could draw you out of the desert, so he could draw you out of that barren place. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But I love that conjunction. Oh man, it's a little word with a big heart. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know what that does to your heart, but it makes mine really happy. You see, because he died for me when I was in my worst state and everything's uphill from there. <laughs> Friends, if you knew my past, I'm telling you, man, and that's when he died for me was when I was in my worst state, my barren state. God died for me. Jesus died for me at that time. Jesus is the way out of our wilderness of sin and the wilderness, let me tell you something, of religion as well. He's the way out. Jesus gives us rivers of living water in our desert places. That is a new beginning. Continuing, he says these words, since we have now been justified by his blood. Now, I want you to meditate on those words right there. Justified by his blood. 
The word justified comes from the Greek word dekaiao. It literally means to be declared innocent. So we were declared innocent by his blood. We were infused with righteousness. Was it by something we did? No, it was by his blood. The Bible says since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Friends, it's an accounting term. Do you know what that means, reconciliation? That means your bank account says the same thing as your checkbook. That's reconciliation. If your bank says one thing and your checkbook says another, that is not reconciliation. He said, listen, I've reconciled you. I've made you look just exactly like me. I've made you look exactly like my son. Get that in your heart today. We look just like Jesus. When God looks at us, when daddy looks at us, he doesn't see us any other way. We look exactly like his son, Jesus. How? We've been reconciled. Reconcile means two things that look alike. And when did he reconcile us? Wow, we were in our worst state. When we didn't have any breath in us and we were laying on our side, he reconciled us. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19 again. It says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, let me say this. When you study the Bible, when you read the Bible, it's important to study and read in context. In other words, you look at some scriptures before what you're reading and some scriptures after. So you're not just reaching and pulling a scripture out so that you can see the flavor and everything that's going on. So in, in verse 19, he's saying, I'm going to do a new thing. So there's this prophetic declaration that God is going to do a new thing. And a couple of things he says right there, he says, I'm going to make a way in the wilderness. Okay, that's when we were trapped in sin. He said, I'm going to put rivers in the desert. That's Christ. He's the living water. Do you see how he's married that together? But now let's stay in context and let's just go up six verses to Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. And let's continue to look at the new things God said he's going to do. He said, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions. You know what a transgression is? It's different than from just a sin or iniquity. A transgression is the breaking of a known law. In other words, you know it's wrong, but you say stubbornly, I'm going to do it anyway. That's called a transgression. And what does it say right there? Isaiah prophesied a date was coming. He said, I'm going to blot out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. <laughs> he said, I'm going to remember your sins no more. When I used to drive truck, I'd get back and my manager would ask me once in a while, well, how'd things go today? Because we'd be gone for 12, 14 hours. And I looked at him one day, I said, well, I had no hitches, no ditches, no stitches, no glitches, no witches. He looked at me and said, what? I said, I had no hitches, nothing hung me up. I had no glitches, paperwork was right. I had no ditches, I kept the truck on the road. I had no stitches, I didn't get hurt. I had no witches, I didn't run into anybody that was against me. You know what, that's the same thing here. God says, when I see you, I don't see the hitches. I don't see the glitches. I don't see your ditches. I don't see the witches. I don't see all this stuff that's going. I see you. I see Christ. I see my son, and he lives on the inside of you, and he's a bright, bright, bright light. And it overshadows everything. He's the light of the world. 
Friends, I want you to take that exhilarating truth found in verse 25, and I want you to lock it up whole in the safety deposit box of your hearts this morning. God does not hold our transgressions against us anymore, and our sins, the Bible says, He remembers no more. And He echoes that truth in the New Covenant over in the New Testament as well. He says, I'll remember your sins no more. Expressions of new things are all around us. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, the Bible says, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so that we might walk in newness of life. Another way to say that is so that we might have a new beginning. A new beginning is newness of life. And it's what daddy specializes in. He said, first of all, I've got to get the sin out of the way. And once I get the sin out of the way, he said, you're going to walk in newness of life. And it's up to us to believe our father. If he said it, he meant it. I'm here to represent it. Okay. If he said it, he truly meant what he said. We have newness of life. There it is. Where did it come? It came after death and resurrection. We have newness of life, just like Jesus does. In Jesus, believers are given a new life. We saw that. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In believers, we are given a new nature. We do not have the same heart that we had before Christ. In Christ, we have a new found hope. What kind of hope is it? It's the hope Paul prophesied about in Romans when he said, a hope that doesn't disappoint you. That's the kind of hope. I love that kind of hope because we live in a world we get disappointed so frequently. And he said, listen, let me tell you something. My hope will never disappoint you. Never once disappoint you. So in Christ, we have a new hope. In Christ, we have a new mind. Doesn't the word tell us that we have the mind of Christ? Absolutely, we have the mind of Christ. In Christ, we have a new song. The psalmist said, he has put a new song in my heart that I might sing praises unto his name. In Christ, we have a new commandment. What does that commandment look like? Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. That's what his commandment looks like. Love one another as I have loved you. And in Christ, we have a new covenant. I believe when people begin to understand the new covenant, that we are under this new covenant, everything changes. Everything changes. It is through this new covenant that our new beginning emerges. It is through the new covenant that we embrace the truth that our caterpillar days have expired. Our wings are ready. The new covenant is the root system to our new beginning, or at least to embracing and understanding our new beginning. A beginning that is filled with newness, and it's a beginning that's filled with hope, the life and hope is none other, listen to me, than Jesus Christ and his finished work. What were the last words of Jesus from the cross? It is finished. He was saying, Father, they will never identify with you ever again based on rules and laws. They will never identify with you ever again based on old covenant theology. The well is going to live on the inside of them now, Daddy. You see, Jesus was like that caterpillar for three days and three nights. He was wrapped in a cocoon and laid in a tomb. But then on that third day, the father said, Arise, my son. Arise, my love. Their wings are ready. 
Now, when we step over into Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2, this scripture takes on different meaning now, new meaning. But for you who fear my name, in other words, you have reverence for my name, the son of righteousness. You notice that the son is spelled with a S-U-N. But friends, I want you to know something. Jesus was not revealed in the Old Covenant. Jesus was not revealed in the Old Testament. That is pointing to no other than Jesus Christ himself. You see, he was just a shadow back then. We have the substance of life now. But he said, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise. Where's he going to rise from? From the dead. And what's going to happen? He's going to have healing in his wings. That Hebrew word for healing is marpe. It means a cure. I love that. He's going to bring a cure. He's going to bring a cure for whatever ails you. He's going to bring a cure for your sin. He's going to bring a cure for your state of separation. He said he's going to rise with healing in his wings and you will go free. That's the heartbeat of triumphant grace is to tell people all over the world, you can go free and you can go free. He's saying right here, and you can be free 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 and you can be free. Hey, brother, you can be free. We're already free in Christ. Why? Because the son of righteousness has risen with a cure in his wings, in all of his extremities. His extremities are his wings. And where were they nailed to? They were nailed to an old rugged cross. And he has risen with perforated hands and perforated feet to bring healing, to bring a cure for us. I love it. And he says, and you will go free, leaping with joy, bounding with exhilaration, like calves let out to pasture. I don't think it's a mistake that he used the word calves because calves speak of a new beginning. You see that? Calves is just a baby cow. And it speaks of newness. It speaks of the young. And he's saying, when the sun of righteousness rises with healings, the cure for sin, he said, you're going to find you have a new beginning. You're going to abound with joy and exhilaration. Trepidation will be in your past. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14, Solomon penned these words. He said, I know that everything God does will last forever. Let me tell you something, friends. <laughs> Did he say that? He said, I know that everything God does will last forever. That means his grace will never run out, his grace will never wear out, and his grace will never walk out on you. Never, ever, ever. I know that everything God does will last forever. And then he says something. He's almost speaking like a new covenant truth. He says, you can't add anything to it or take anything away from it. And one thing God does is to make us stand in awe of him. In the book of Isaiah, we discover the prophecy of Zion's coming salvation. Isaiah longed. He longed for what he saw by the Spirit. But there was one problem. His wings weren't ready. You see, Isaiah was wrapped tightly in the cocoon of the Old Covenant. A new beginning, as we know it, was out of reach for the prophet Isaiah. We have something better. We have something much better than the people from the Old Covenant. We have Christ, the hope of glory, living on the inside of us. Look at these words. Isaiah chapter 62, verses 2 through 5. 
Now, I am intentionally skipping over verse 1. I'll come back and get it in a second here and tie it back together. But beginning in verse 2, God says these words. He says, The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Why will you not be called the desolate land? Because the river of life is flowing through you. He said, you're never going to be called the desolate land because he begins to say, your new name will be Chesavah the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. That's because he's the carpenter from Nazareth. The Bible says, so shall your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Store that for a second. Park that in one side of your brain. And let's take a look at what else the Lord says about this name. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He says, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. That's the bride walking down the aisle. That's that one that's got the spotless garment on. That's you. That's me. That's us. That's we. We're the ones walking down the aisle. We're the ones dressed in white. We're the ones dressed in the robe of righteousness. And he ties it into righteousness. He said, the one that is victorious will like them be dressed in white. Look at what he says. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. Never will I blot out that person's name from the book of life. Why? Because we have his name. If he blotted out our name, he'd blot out his name. But he said, but here's what I will do. I'll acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. So he says there, the one who is victorious... Now see, that makes it sound conditional. Old friends, it's not conditional because when he put a ring on our finger, his riches became our riches. And guess what? His name became our name. See, the bride always takes the name of the husband. I've never seen a husband yet take the name of the bride. That'd be just kind of weird. She takes his name. We are the bride of Christ. And when he put that robe of righteousness on us and he put that ring on our finger... We took on his name, and he has a name. The Bible says that's above every name. And he said, I'll never blot out that name from that person from the book of life. And he said, I'm going to tell my daddy about you. I'm going to acknowledge you before my father and before the holy angels. If you were to go and be with Jesus instantly right now, I don't even know what that inauguration looks like, but it wouldn't be just something as casual. Yeah, this is Mark. You know, he was from Triumph and Grace Ministries. No, no, he'd hold you high. He would say, this is my daddy's boy. This is a man I shed my blood for. Oh, it would be a celebration. It'd be exhilaration going on, wouldn't there? Oh, yeah, there would be. Absolutely. Isaiah 62, just verses 4 and 5 again now. Never again you will be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name shall be Hesavah the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord God delights in you and claim you as his bride. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you and claim you as his bride. The Lord declares that our new name shall be Hesavah. Now listen to me carefully because 
I got this revelation from the Holy Spirit about a year and a half ago, and it was one of the most powerful things He ever showed me. Hesavah means, in whom is my delight. Now let me explain something to you so that you catch the essence of what I'm about to say. In the Hebrew, their alphabet is also their number system. They don't have separate numbers like we do. Their letters become their numbers. Hebrew is much deeper, a much deeper language than English. And that's why I would encourage you as you study your Bible, you read your Bible, if you really want to see a new world, you've got to go below the surface. And it's so easy with a concordant. In Hebrew, not only do the letters become numbers, but in Hebrew, every letter has a word picture associated with it. I love the Hebrew, I love the Greek, because it tells the story of creation, it tells the story of redemption, it tells the story of grace. If we just start with the first five letters of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Bet, Gemel, Dalet, Che. Aleph is the father. It's the most robust of all the letters. It's the father of all the letters. Isn't that interesting? It would start with God. Remember, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, Aleph. And if you look at his names, El Shaddai, El Elyon, all of those, they start with that letter Aleph. Bet refers to the Son of God. The Hebrew letter Bet is the Son of God. And where is the Son of God? He's parked right next to the Father. Aleph, Bet. Father, Son. Gamel, the picture for Gamel in Hebrew is a camel because camels carry burdens. The next letter is Dalet. The picture for Dalet is a door in the Hebrew. And then there's He. It's the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the number five always refers to grace. It always means grace. Do you see how just their alphabet opens up? Here's the Father. The Son is going to carry our burden. He's going to become the door to grace. Do you see this? It's just all hidden right there. The Hebrew alphabet is pretty powerful, and it's got hidden stuff in there that are exciting. There are six letters that make up this name Chesavah. Six Hebrew letters. If you really want to see the power behind the name that Daddy gave us, you see, because he's intentional. He doesn't randomly throw things together. He's the God of creation. He does it right the first time. Everything is perfect in God. Let me show you the depth of this name. He said, I'm going to call the bride Hesavah. Here they are right here. The first letter in Hesavah is the Hebrew letter Het. Het means life. Het is the eighth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Eight is the number of new beginnings. Het means life. Then we have the Hebrew letter Te. There is no other letter of the Hebrew alphabet that exerts more breath than the letter Te. When you say Te, there is no other letter that compares to that. Aleph, Bet, Gamel, Galet, He, Vav, Zion, Het. You know, there's nothing like it. But when you say pay, pay literally re refers to God's breath. And then you have the Hebrew letter sadi. The word picture for sadi is man on his side. In other words, every time they say sadi, the word picture for that is a man laying on his side. Then you have yod. Yod is the smallest of all the Hebrew letters, but that Yod is in every single letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And Yod is hands reaching out. That's what it means. It means hands 
reaching out. Remember what I said about bet? Bet means son of God. And then we have he, which is grace. And that's exactly why the father added that H to Abraham. He put that he in there. And for Sarai, he put the he on the end and made her Sarah because he was taking the people of absolute faith and he was saying, I've got to add my grace to that. Now you make sense in my heart. I'm going to add my son to you. Now you make sense. Do you see that picture? So when we look at this word, this name, Hesva, I want you to see what daddy's intention behind this is. It literally translates as this. This is the name he gave you, okay? It's life begins with God's breath into the man on his side. It is the hand reaching out to us from the Son of God with grace. This is the name he gave us. He's saying, listen, you were that man. You were on your side. You were in a helpless condition at one time. But I decided I'm going to let my hands reach out to you from the Son of God, and they're going to reach out to you with grace. You see, friends, we have a gospel that continually reminds us who we are. It's a gospel that is not full of nitrates, okay? It's, it's pure. It's a gospel that promises us a new beginning, and it promises us a new name. The gospel came looking for us in the wilderness. This same gospel came looking for us when we were in a barren land, when we were in a fallen state and had no strength of our own to stand or even find our way out of the wilderness. This gospel reached out with the hand of grace and pulled us out of the wilderness. That is precisely when our new beginning took place. Life began with God's breath into the man on his side. It was his hands reaching out by the Son of God with grace. Now Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. You see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly when we were still powerless. You see our Father turns extreme trepidation into extreme exhilaration. And how does He do this? By giving us the revelation of the new name that He's given us, Chesavah. He did it all. I was on my side. In fact, the night I got saved, I was minding my own business. To be honest with you, God was a million miles from my mind. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit came calling and gave me a new heart and a new name. Now, that scripture I overlooked, Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 1. It's where this new name is birthed out of. Here's what it says. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Isaiah, the prophet, is speaking of the covenants of righteousness and salvation. He's telling us this and comparing it to two consuming lights, brightness and a burning torch. Now, does it make sense when Jesus stood after he freed the woman caught in adultery and immediately after he was done with that, he said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He said, that's what he said. And then in Matthew 5, 14, he said, you, by the way, you also are the light of the world. And he said, a city set on a hill 
cannot be hidden. Today, we embrace transformation together. Today marks a new beginning for triumphant grace in terms of the place we meet, and it marks a new day as other faces that we have not seen before are assimilated into our family. The faces that I speak about are the faces from the ministry that was called New Hope Church. I want you to know something. There is no finer group of people. I've been with these folks, many of them, for many years. These are the most loving people you'll ever meet. And just in what I've met with Bob and Treva and the others, they are a loving group. And I tell you what, love begets love, doesn't it? Absolutely. Love begets love, man. For the remnant of New Hope Church, I want to say this to you. God has brought you new shepherds. God has surrounded you, again, by brothers and sisters, I believe, that will love you with all your hearts. I love what Ruth said to Naomi. As she followed Naomi, she said, Your God will be my God. And she said, Your people will be my people. See, we have the same God. Now we just have the same people. Your people will be my people. We see that truth echoed in Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. He says these words, And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. In those days when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, people will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. What Jeremiah is doing is Jeremiah is prophesying of the time of Christ's coming to earth. A time when all the nation's hopes would be fulfilled. A time when the Old Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant would no longer enter our minds or be remembered. It would no longer be missed. There will not be another one made. Because the Ark of the Covenant was merely a shadow of the true substance that we have called Jesus. Jesus is our new beginning. This building isn't our new beginning. Jesus is our new beginning. The Apostle John was the only writer of any other book of the entire Bible who began with the same words of Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning. And he said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. And then he says, all things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. And he said, and that light shined in the darkness. And even though the darkness didn't understand it, I want you to know something. That light was penetrating darkness. That light penetrated my darkness, drew me out of the wilderness, drew me out of my barren places. My closing scriptures are these. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I want you to hear that now. I tell you, we could change the whole world if we would just get down and wash somebody's feet once in a while. One of the greatest expressions I've ever seen of love and devotion was in the last year or so of my mama's life. I went over to her apartment one day unannounced, and when I would come, I had a key, and so I wouldn't even have to knock. I would just put my key in the lock and open the door. And when I opened the door... There my mama sat in her chair, and there sat a woman from our church at her feet, washing her feet. Not a word was exchanged as that woman just carefully washed my mama's feet. 
When she was done, she emptied her basin, made no big deal about it, and left. And when she left, I said, Mama, I said, what was that all about? She said, well, I don't really know, son. She said, I received a phone call from her. And she said, Donna, I know it's hard for you to be able to get out and about. But she said, would it be okay if I was just to come over and wash your feet? I'm going to wash your feet. And I'm going to wash it with the Word. I'm going to wash your feet, Treva. I'm going to wash all your feet. We do it by the Word. And the Bible says don't do anything out of selfish ambition, but consider others above yourself. That takes intention. You've got to be as intentional about that as God was about the name Hesavah. Be intentional. Think it through. Pray about it. Listen to Papa. Oh, he'll have you doing some things, brother. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Look at these words. But emptied himself. That's what we do here. We empty self. Friends, I want you to know something. I didn't just stand behind the pulpit and empty myself today. I was emptied before I got here. And I was filled with Him. I emptied self. The revelation that He lives in me. But emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Watch this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name. Oh, not a name, the name. The means the one and only. It's a definite article. It means the one and only name. He bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then verse 12. Do you remember how I began by saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What preceded him saying, working out your salvation with fear and trembling? He talked about the name. The name. When you understand the authority, the power of that name that lives on the inside of you, that abides on the inside of you, and that he would go to great lengths to say, I'm going to call you Hesavah. I'm going to call you Hesavah. Ah, oh. friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the Scriptures are these. Nothing Mark it in your heart today. Nothing can alter our new beginning in Christ. We have been indelibly imprinted with the righteousness of Jesus Christ and we have been indelibly imprinted with Jesus' name from the inside out. Our days as a caterpillar have expired. 
we wear his ring and we wear his wings, friends. The blood that is coursing its way through our body is the richest. It's the most exhilarating. It's the most oxygenated blood there is. It is the blood of Jesus. It's the same blood that justified us when we were laying on our side without breath. No longer do I drink from a contaminated well. Our sippy cup that was once laden with the nitrates of the old covenant has been consumed by his brightness and his burning torch. In Christ, we have been given a new name. It is the name Chesavah, the city of God's delight, the bride of God. It translates as life begins with God's breath into the man on his side. It is the hand reaching out by the Son of God with grace. Do you know what grace is? It's God's unmerited favor. It's God's undeserved favor. It's God's unwarranted favor. Grace. Friends, we have the promise from our builder that anyone that has been dressed in white, anyone that has put on a wedding garment, their name shall never shall never be blotted out of the book of life because as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Why did daddy go to such extremes? Why did daddy allow his son to be nailed to an old rugged cross? Friends, it's very simple. It was so that we could have a new beginning. And Father, I just thank you for your grace today. I thank you for the revelation of Christ in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I thank you, Father, that nothing can separate me from your love. I've been given a name that's above every name. It's the name of Jesus Christ. I've been given Jesus' name, Jesus' blood. I've been justified by his blood. And I thank you, Father. I thank you that you remember our sins no more. I thank you that you blotted out our transgressions so that my name could never be blotted out ever again in the book of life. I want to thank you, Father, for this message of unconditional love. I want to thank you for this message of the new covenant. With it comes such liberty, such grace, Daddy. With it, Daddy, comes the ability to be free. You are free. Why? Because the Son of Righteousness has risen. And when He rose, He rose with healing. He rose for a cure for my barrenness. He rose for a cure for my sin to dispense a new beginning inside of me. In Jesus' name, amen.